Welcome to the Veteran Founder Podcast on the Startup Radio Network. Starting a company allows you to be back in control. The weekly show that brings together military spouse and veteran founders who are doing remarkable things in the business world. I can't imagine there's anything out there stronger than the bond that military and veteran entrepreneurs have. We'll hear their story, the story of their business, and lessons learned. Joy can override the worries and depression. Here are your hosts, Carmen Nazario and Josh Carter. Good afternoon, everybody. My name is Josh Carter. Welcome to the Veterans uh, Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm not really sure what we're going to call this at some point, but maybe we'll uh, we'll decide to change the name to something a little bit more uh, less mouthy. But uh, I'm your host and uh, my co-host, uh, who will be leading this effort, is uh, Carmen Nazario. Carmen, how, how are you today? I am great. Hello, everybody. I am excited. This is our first podcast, and I get to interview my co-host, Josh Carter. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the way this is going to work is Carmen's going to interview me, uh, and then next week we will switch it around, and Carmen will, I will interview Carmen and learn more about uh, what makes her tick and what she's done. She's done some great, incredible things, and uh, I think you guys are all going to really love uh, learning more about Carmen. Yes, and I'm going to love learning about everyone else we interview here. And uh, today um, I'm interviewing Josh Carter. Yeah. Josh is uh, currently the CEO of a nonprofit organization called PatriotBootCamp.org. Josh, I really want to know a little bit about yourself before we get going on questions. So tell me about yourself, where you're from, your story. A little bit about your story. Well, it all started on a small farm in the backwoods of Montano. Uh, no, <laughs> I, I grew up in the Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area, uh, born and raised. And then uh, once I got out of the uh, out of high school, I actually signed up for the Navy um, just because I wanted to be a cartoonist. And they had this thing called Illustrated Draftsman in the Navy, uh, but it didn't come with any school, so I had to sign up uh, with no school going into the Navy. And at the time, um, I was 17 when I graduated high school, so uh, believe it or not, I needed to have my mom sign a permission slip for me to go into the Navy, which was weird to kind of start your military career off with your mom needing a permission slip to sign you up. Um, so that that uh, you know, led to really great things, uh, let me tell you. So I did three years in the military. I uh, was on two different guided missile frigates. I was on the Gallery and the Groves, which were FFGs, who are they're no longer around. But I was a, a deck seaman in the Navy. I just did chipping paint, chasing rust around the ship, uh, was a quartermaster for a while, so I drove the ship. Um, and it was great. In, in three years, I got to see the world. I, we did 30 countries in three years, so I, I really got to travel a lot. That's amazing. Yeah. In three years. I was in, but um, I was in one place. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Always did want to travel, though. So, um, and that's amazing about the cartoonist um, training in the military. I didn't know that. Yeah, I, I, well, it was more in, in doing, like, technical drawings, but that was my background. When I, when I was in high school, I had done some animation work and done some drawing and stuff like that, so I wanted to do that as a career. I wanted to go to the art academy in San Francisco, but you know, I came from a middle class, lower middle class family, so we didn't have the money to pay for it. So I wanted to get the GI Bill. So I picked the lowest amount of years that I possibly could for active duty in the military and signed up with the purpose of getting out to get the GI Bill. Uh, so that's what I, I used uh, when I got out and went to the art academy. Oh, so you did go to the Art Academy. I did that for about a year before I discovered that's not the, that wasn't the best path for me. Like The Art Academy was great, but it ended up costing $650 a unit, and this was back in I don't know, 2000, so seven, 18 years ago. And, uh, and, and the GI Bill didn't cover hardly any of it, right? So I ended up having to take these Stafford loans anyway to, to cover the cost and ended up with a tremendous amount of uh, student loan debt. So I did that for a while, and then when I got out of that, I did. I landed in uh, telecommunications, of all things. Um, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do as a career, and a family friend of mine was like, hey, we have this job opening at Pacific Bell, which for your listeners, uh, for our listeners that know anything about te- telecommunication, it was when Ma Bell was broke up into Baby Bells. And so mm. Pac Bell was one of the Baby Bells. And so oh, I worked I uh, climbing poles and crawling under houses as a phone tech. Mm-hmm. And then eventually, I you know, throughout my career, I sort of 
went through this evolution of telecommunications, whether it was putting in large-scale phone systems or eventually it led to me uh, at this really unknown small startup that nobody had heard of at the time called Twilio. And I was like employee number 60 at this little-known startup. And now, as everybody knows, Twilio went IPO and they have 1,200-some employees and they're, they're really the biggest cloud communications provider on the planet. Wow, that's amazing. So you've been an entrepreneur as well. Yeah, yeah. So around the same time I started at Twilio, I started a couple of businesses. And my first foray into any sort of business, quote unquote, was uh, back in the Bay Area. I had started booking bands. And uh, and the reason I got into that was I had a friend who was in a band in the Bay Area. And, uh, and he goes, hey, we're having trouble booking shows. Um, we keep calling these venues saying we're an incredible band. Um, they don't believe us. So we get turned down. And so uh, my idea was, well, why don't I just pretend like I'm your booking agent? So that's how mm-hmm. we started. And so I would call these venues and say I was the booking agent for th- my friend's band. And we would get gigs uh, over and over and over. And eventually bands caught on that that's what I was doing. And so I would get calls from these random bands saying, hey, can you do the same for me? And that was how we kind of started this business. Um, eventually we created this festival and lost a ton of money on it. So my wife was like, you need to figure something else out to do because we're just losing way too money, too much money doing this. So I ended up in radio and in internet radio, ironically, of all the things to do. And so we did uh, this thing called the510.com where we, um, where we brought in guests every week, including folks like Imagine Dragons, Margaret Cho, Henry Rollins. And we had this discussion about where we thought the music industry was headed. And it was great. We uh, there's the site's still up. We don't do the radio, obviously, anymore. But um, it, it provided this outlet for me to understand what was challenging people in the music industry. Because the, the biggest challenge right now for the music industry is that tech abandoned them, right? And, and this is really true when you think about the Apple and Beats acquisition, right? Apple bought Beats for $3 billion. But the bands that are touring around, they didn't benefit that, from that, even though their product is part of that acquisition. Mm-hmm. So there's this... T- underlying tension that exists with with music's with the music industry as a whole. And so what got our wheels spinning outside of this radio thing was man, if we can put the technology back into the hands of the musicians that would find it valuable, that might be a business. So we created this thing called Plunk here in Portland. And it was a digital marketing agency that um, provide that bridge that gap that said, "Okay, we're going to provide these solutions for the musicians." Uh, and build these amazing platforms. So we did things with Taco Bell and FeedTheBeat.com, which was their platform for up-and-coming musicians to uh, be showcased at things like South by Southwest and these other large festivals. And so we did that for Taco Bell. We did Disney. We worked with the Super Bowl. Uh, We did a lot of really great uh, applications. And this was all, again, while I was still working day jobs. So I was building a business and doing these uh, the day job thing as well. What an interesting background. So, so how did you get involved in um, Patriot Bootcamp? Yeah, so around the same time that I started Plunk, we were starting to figure out what could we do um, to sustain our business model. We knew we couldn't sustain ourselves as a service model, right? The, the problem with service models is that anybody could come in cheaper, faster, and do it better. And so we needed to figure out how to develop a product that could then um, help sustain our business long term. And so what we knew was every time we would start with a new application, the issue was we would have to configure all of these ancillary back-end services. So if you think of an application as two sides, right? There's a front end of the application, which is the buttons you press for an application, right? And then there's this back end, which is all the database uh, crap that comes mm-hmm. with you know an application. Well, that back end piece, clients don't care what you pick. They just care that it doesn't fall down. So we created a platform that allowed developers to just take their front-end piece and tie it in with a pre-configured back-end. So they didn't have to do all this work on the back-end and save them like 70% of the time. We took that idea through Patriot Bootcamp uh, as an attendee. And at the time, um, we weren't sure what we were going to do with it. We just knew that we were going to build this, this platform. Um, we met a gentleman um, who I'm good friends with now. His name's Dave Drack who's the VP of business strategy at Techstars. And he comes up and he goes, have you ever applied for Techstars? And we said, yeah, we've applied three times. You guys have turned us down every time. And, uh, and he goes, well, apply again. I'll put you in touch with this gentleman and we'll figure out, you know, I, I think this is a great business to be uh, at Techstars. 
So we met with a, a gentleman who works as their pipeline director to figure out where we would fit in the Techstars ecosystem. And it turned out to be Chicago, of all weird places, even mm. though there's a Techstars in Seattle. So we went through Techstars in Chicago with this Brightwork platform, um, and, uh, and it was a great experience. We came back and we died. We wow. just died. We ran out of money. It was uh, the weirdest thing. We thought we had this amazing platform uh, that people would find valuable, and we can get on why we died, but um, we, we just died. We, just, we ran out of cash and couldn't sustain ourselves. Um, so around the same time, I'd been going back to Patriot Bootcamp as an attendee slash mentor. And um, the, the woman that ran it at the time, Charlotte Creech, an amazing human being, uh, love her to death, she approached me about wanting to help the uh, organization as a leader. And so it just happened to be really good timing that I was winding down my startup. They were looking for somebody to come in and help. And so I joined in November of last year. And February 1, I became the CEO interim of Patriot Bootcamp. So I went from being an attendee in 2014 to here in 2018 now leading the organization. But the volunteer work led to the position, right? Yeah, I mean, I think it was just, I, I have a tremendous passion for veteran entrepreneurs, I, being one myself, and I know that this organization helps them. Um, since its inception, we've had 750 companies come through our program. Uh, we've had five exits, meaning five companies that have come through our program have gone in and gotten acquired by another company. Collectively, they've raised $70 million in investment funds creating 1,300 jobs. So this program is working for veteran entrepreneurs that are looking to scale their startups. That's wonderful. And you know what? I want to read I want to read the mission statement because I fell in love with the mission statement. It says, so Patriot Boot Camp mission statement is to assemble and activate an inclusive community that advances veterans and military spouses in their mission to become creators, innovators, and entrepreneurs leading the new economy. That's just so wonderful. Um, so your this became a passion, right? Yeah, for absolutely. you to help the these people, and there's nothing more rewarding to see other people succeed. So it's almost like your passion became your purpose. And not only that, it it, it it's a job I love. Like I wake up every single day knowing that I can make a difference in these veteran entrepreneurs' lives, gleaning off the experience that I had and the experiences and the pitfalls that I went through. I could take that and help guide them in the right way. We, we're doing it every day. I get emails and calls from our alumni or, or, or mentors or investors that want to be more embedded in our community. And I think where, where we've unlocked this sort of secret sauce of Patriot Bootcamp is we really fundamentally focus on the mentor side of things. So when you come to a Patriot Bootcamp, it's very much modeled after the Techstars three-month program. So for, for folks that aren't familiar, let me tell you a little bit about Techstars. So Techstars is a three-month accelerator program for tech startups, mostly tech. They, they have other verticals, but they, they cater mostly to tech. So you spend three months learning a lot about how you can grow your business. And I kind of, being a veteran, we can kind of liken it to boot camp, right? You go to boot camp, mm -hmm. and what do they do? They break you down and build you up the way you're supposed to operate. Techstars is very similar in that regard, where you show up day one, and they're removing all of the assumptions that you have about how to run your, your startup. And then you're faced with this high-intensity pace of this program that is just in your face throughout the, the three months that you're there. And it culminates with this sort of ceremonial parade of, you know, we did it, check out this eight-minute demo of my product that is far more polished than it is than when I started. And I think that's where the value is for Techstars. So we take all of that and we built that into a weekend. So we take Mentor Madness, we take programming, fireside chats, panel discussions, whatever, even pitch competitions for their demo, and we compress it into a weekend. So you can imagine it's just a fire hose of information for these entrepreneurs who just don't have much of a context around how they can build a successful startup. That's wonderful. Yeah, I wish I uh, had attended something like that when I started my company 20 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think they had anything like that. No, and, and in fact, you know, 20 years ago, the word entrepreneur was something much different, right? I mean, it just it wasn't thrown around as casually as it is today. And startups were just businesses that you started, right? It wasn't now mm -hmm. it's a startup. 
and uh, right. and that's the the buzzword now. It's a different. Um, it was a different generation, and today's generation, they're willing to take more risks. The young, uh, the millenniums, and yeah, you know, it's just yeah, I agree uh, with that. Yeah, so I want to know more about the Patriot Boot Camp. I want to know uh, how that was formed and the why, and yeah. just uh, what happens, what kind of training people can get. Sure. And uh, yeah, so tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so uh, Taylor McLemore, who's our founder, uh, realized that there was a big gap in the market, being that there were no programs out there specifically for military vets. So there existed Techstars, 500 Startups, Y Combinator, a number of different programs out there that help accelerate businesses, but there was nobody really focused on military vets. And Taylor's not a vet himself. He just has a tremendous passion for the community. He comes from a family that served in World War II, and so he has a passion for that group, but he just didn't serve himself. And so he approached Techstars, um, being in Colorado, and sat down with David Cohen, who is one of the co-founders of Techstars, and said, why are you guys not doing anything for veterans? And the, the meeting ended up with David Cohen saying, well, go create it, and you have the full support of Techstars. We'll help support you in any way we possibly can, but if you see a need, like, let's figure out how to do that. So Taylor created the program, um, really not knowing what to expect. They, he genuinely thought it was going to be one program, and that's it. He never envisioned it being a long-term play. He never envisioned it being what it is today. And so um, they did the first program in D.C., not really knowing what to expect, got tremendous feedback from mentors and uh, panels and speakers and, and attendees and decided we need to do this again. And so they, they just continued to do these weekend programs. And over time, whether it was from you know different feedback or folks being with Patriot Bootcamp, it sort of evolved into what it is today. And I think a large part of that is, is due to Charlotte Creech's um, just amazing vision to figure out how to unlock the secret sauce of how this three-day, this very compressed timeline can be maximized to give entrepreneurs um, the foundation to be successful. That's wonderful. Um, so in six years, uh, you've really been successful because uh, the organization has existed now for six years. Yep. And uh, and so, you know, you mentioned uh, this lady. Can you tell me her name again? Charlotte Creech. Sh Charlotte Creech. So yeah. what else do you attribute the success uh, of this organization? I, yeah, I, I think uh, the big part of it is just we have this amazing um, group of people that come out and they fly to whatever city we throw these at, right? We did this in San Antonio recently a couple weeks ago. And we had people from all over the country just show up and give up their time. Um, to, to mentor these entrepreneurs. We had entrepreneurs fly in from all over the country, including Alaska, to come in and get information to be valuable for their startups. So I think the biggest reason that it's successful is that there's this tremendous group of folks on both sides, whether it's the entrepreneurs or the mentors and speakers that come that give up their time, that are just willing and have a passion to see these folks succeed. We don't pay anybody to speak. We don't pay for anybody to fly out. Um, they do it of their own, uh, out of their own pocket, and they do it out of their own just free will to volunteer. Uh, we have a, a really great sponsor in USAA who's just this amazing uh, organization. And the way we approached it was, we want you to be able to come in and be valuable to our community and, and give of your experience. I don't think we really fully understood what that relationship was going to turn into. But now, just because they show up every weekend, uh, and these aren't just low-level employees. These are executive vice presidents. These are people that report to the CEO, show up on a weekend to either talk or answer questions or be a mentor. Um, and that just doesn't happen by accident. Like These, these folks really want to be helpful to veteran entrepreneurs. And I think what makes our organization different is that we include military spouses in that conversation, which not a lot of folks do. And uh, the reason we do that is because one, they, the military spouse community is amazing. Jen Pilcher, who's one of my favorite people, uh, had, had a great company called Military One Click, which is part of the acquisitions I talked about earlier. Uh, her company was acquired. Um, they're just tenacious. And they do that because they have to be, right? Military spouses, if you think about it, they're kind of dragged around the country and the world. And then when they show up at this new city that they don't really know a whole lot about, 
they're kind of forced to be the CEO of their family to figure out how to make sure their kids show up at school or what school they're going to go to. Um, and they have to learn all these new things. So they're, they're agile, they're flexible, they, they know how to sort of be, uh, to go with the punches. And uh, they make great entrepreneurs. They really do. And so we include them in the conversation with our program. And so I think um, that's another sort of element uh, to our success. Yeah, I really like that. And that's part of the mission statement. Uh, and it's true. Um, they're really displaced, but uh, they have to adapt quickly um, to their environment when when their husbands or spouses are, are transferred. So I do understand military life, uh, being ex-military myself, and my father was ex-military as well. Yeah, you were, you were Army, right? I was Army. And you served for how long? For three years. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so... um, Which is going to make it really awkward when we come into December and it's the Army-Navy game. That's going to be really awkward. I'm just setting you up. (laughs) We're going to set that up now. Yeah. Yeah. So, but it, it's going to be fun. I love it, I love the Army Navy game every year. I have a lot of Army friends, and we what, we all give each other crap. But it's just good fun. When is that coming up? At, uh, uh, it happens every I think the first week, first second week of December every year. The okay. Army Navy game. I mean, you guys won the last two years, thankfully. So, uh, well, <laughs> yeah. So I was going to ask you. It it must take a lot of planning to orchestrate all of these um, yeah. executives or people that are volunteering to do presentations at these boot camp events. And who's doing all of that? Yeah, that's uh, that's a two-person army right now. Myself and, and Sherry Rice, who is our program lead, who, again, is amazing. She started as a volunteer and, and has been just uh, – without her, we, we couldn't run these programs. But uh, there's a lot of work that is done behind the scenes. Even even today, you know, our next program is the end of September, but we're already starting to block out hotels and line up speakers and, and try to line up programming today. Um, but it starts well in advance, and then uh, you know when we show up at the event, we become a team of twelve. You know, we become a much bigger team because we have so many great volunteers. Okay, so uh, so the volunteers show up to uh, at, at the events, and yeah. and then you have the uh, the speakers, and so our. Are the events pretty much the same, or do they vary? Uh, do you focus on different things in, in different places? Yeah, what so, does that look like? So we've tried to experiment a little bit. We, we keep to the, the format of, of it being three-day, but we definitely try to change the format a bit. And, and some of the things that we're trying to figure out right now... So, so the big problem with Patriot Boot Camp is that we have a big sort of one-bucket problem, right? We have every stage of company coming to one event. So we have early stage companies that are, hey, I've got this idea. I kind of want to vet it out. And then we have these, what I'd call startup stage founders that they've filed paperwork. There's actual paperwork involved. They have a founder. Um, they've issued shares or you know they have some sort of product in, out in the market right now. And that's what I would call sort of the startup stage. And then we have what, what I would call growth stage startups, which are further along. Right? They have a bunch of customers. Maybe they're making some measurable amount of revenue per month. Um, but we take all of those different spectrums and we put them in one event. And so what ends up happening is you have a certain subset of the programming that ends up alienating uh, certain people because maybe it's not relevant to them or maybe they've already done that. And so right. what we're working on now is how do we break that up? And so we've created um, this hackathon that we called Vet Hacks. And so if you go to vethacks.org, um, it's a partnership we created with another organization, a gentleman that was just here, David Molina, who uh, is part of Operation Code. Uh, we partnered with Operation Code for that event. And, with that, and, and Bunker Labs as well, which is another program. Uh, what, we, what that allowed us to do is take those early stage startup founders and move them out of that one bucket. And so now we can start mm-hmm. to see a bit of a silo happening. Now we have a place where we can move these early stage idea founders to you know, a venue that is more appropriate for them so that they could take the hackathon, which is a three-day event, which enables them to break into teams and build something over the weekend, figure out if it has legs. Um, so that allows us to do that and then free up seats in our core program for founders that are a little further along. So what we're starting to think about now is, well, where then do we take the growth uh, companies. And we've always talked about wanting to put money into these companies. And I, I think that's just a natural progression of our mm-hmm. program is that we have these amazing founders. We want to put money into the, the founders so that they can have a better chance for success. It's just one extra component there. So we're, we're thinking about what kind of program can we can create 
for these growth stage startups, founders that are a little more further along that can get value out of our program, but we can also put money to work for them as well. So that's something we're working on as well. And, and then you can start to really see that there's these three stages of our program where we can be much more deliberate about what we do in each stage. And it allows us to be very focused on each stage of the program so that if an early stage founder uh, wants to have focused programming, then we have a place to put them now. It's not just intermingling them with folks that are making thirty, forty thousand dollars a month in revenue. Um, and same thing with our three-day program. We could start to really focus in on, well, uh, if, are you ready for your seed round? Are you ready for your A round? Well, the Patriot Bootcamp Core Three-Day Program would probably mm-hmm. be a great fit for you. And then having a place for those high-performing, the top, I'll call it ten percent of our companies, where do we put them? You know, we need to have some place to have valuable information for them and valuable programming. So there's a lot of different things that we're trying to figure out. Um, but the exciting part is that there is so much opportunity there. Uh, working as a small organization, it's easy for us to experiment with different things and figure out what works and what doesn't work, and then iterate on, on what does work and, and, and try to prove out more of the success. So for the higher performing companies, uh, so those are the ones that uh, you're looking to potentially invest in, right? Yeah, absolutely. And and and, and then how how would you bet them? Like, I mean, investing in a company is a big risk. It's a huge risk, and that's that's one of the things I think we've been very shy about. And 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 it's not because there's anything bad about it. I think. You know, investments got a bad rap about uh, sort of being predatory, right? I I think there's a lot of sort of throw spaghetti at the wall and figure out what sticks uh, Mm -hmm. mentality when it comes to investment or shotgun approach, if you will. And and we really want to be thoughtful about that. You know, there's so many great ideas out there and and it's hard to... You don't want to get happy ears on an an idea just because we've we've seen five exits, right? But the question then becomes, would we have invested in those given the opportunity, right? Mm-hmm. Or would we have invested in the 20 others that didn't make it? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the statistics aren't in our favor. And so we have to be very thoughtful and methodic about it. You know, 80% of companies fail because of their founders or product market fit or they ran out of cash like we did. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's a lot of different variables that are working against startup founders. And how do you... And, and funding isn't going to mitigate that failure. It mm-hmm. may just... Um, drag it along, right? Failure is going to happen one way or another, and funding may not help it. It may just prolong the death and have a slow death effect. So, um, so at Patriot Bootcamp, we, we just we figure out what can we be doing to be thoughtful around our investment ideas. How can we de-risk ourselves, uh, but also um, put our money where our mouth is? We have these incredible founders that are doing amazing things. We we had um, a number of founders go through. Uh, start, uh, what was it called? Shark Tank, right? Mm-hmm. So we, the last episode of Shark Tank that happened to coincide with uh, Veterans Day, they did an all-veterans episode. And we had a number of companies on that episode that had gone through Patriot Boot Camp. But we had them, a couple of them that didn't get any investment from them, but are now kicking ass. They're out there, you know, franchising or doing something where they're they're starting to gain traction. They had good exposure on the show. Absolutely. But I mean, would it, but it goes back to my question, like, would we have invested in those companies? And and the answer is probably not, but it doesn't make, make us wrong, right? It doesn't mean that we were wrong and in not investing in them. So there's just a lot to chew on when it comes to investing in a company. Um, there are just so many variables. And being on this side of the aisle of it now, um, I, I get it. I get it. It's so difficult. Um, when we were out there fundraising, we were really challenged with how can we tell our story in a way that's valuable, that people understand it, um, and that they know that we're the right team to do it. Um, and I think every founder is challenged with that. But on this side, it's it's even more of a challenge to answer those questions because we're trying to uh, figure out how to de-risk ourselves, but also you know put money in the company. So there's just there's just so much, so many different elements to it. Yeah. Right. And if you put money into the company, you would be um, an owner 
as well? A shareholder. A shareholder. Yeah, so we would, we would take some sort of equity stake. So today, Techstars gives companies 120000 and in exchange for that, they give up 6% of the company. So for a lot of founders that are in their growth stage, that might be too much to give up, right? A lot of mm-hmm. companies don't want to, a lot of founders don't want to give up 6%. Mm-hmm. But in the, in the end, what you end up getting is a, a tremendous network. You end up getting a lot of... Uh, exposure, and that's what we're trying to do. So there is a little bit of this salesman thing that you have to go through when you're uh, when you're on the investment side to say we're the right team to help you. Um, but uh, but yeah, we we want to we want to put skin in the game, and that that's how we do it. And then uh, you mentioned uh, fundraising. Do you have to do fundraising for for uh, Patriot Bootcamp? Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. And as a nonprofit, it's really difficult. I mean, it's. We have a really small budget every year, uh, and we have to iterate on that every single year. We have to grow our our community and our and our programming. So not only are from the investment side, we'd have to raise money for the investment piece, mm-hmm. but then we have to run. We have to find money to get uh, for to actually run the core program, which is always a challenge, and it's always a mix of really good corporate pa- partners um, or foundations. It's and it's writing grants. It's um, it's kissing babies and shaking hands. It's everything you do as a startup founder, just a hundred times more difficult, to be honest. Who's doing that? I am. Yeah. Oh, it's, it it's, it's me, the board. It's, you know, when you're, when you're a team of two, you do everything. And, and that's what I think makes this, this uh, relationship between myself and, and Patriot Bootcamp work so well is you know, I, I'm used to doing sort of everything as a founder. And I find myself doing it again with this incredible organization, which doesn't feel like a job. It just feels like, you know, what you said earlier, my passion, my purpose. Yeah. Yeah. So so that uh, sort of identifies some of your challenges. You've identified a couple yeah. uh, being uh, the fundraising and also what you talked previously about, try- that you really want to be able to invest in some of these high-performing companies. Mm-hmm. What else is a challenge? I think it's, you know, right now, our biggest challenge is we have a top of funnel problem. You know, there's 250,000 members of the military that transition out. And of those, only really 4% are creating companies. And that's not just tech companies, which is our niche. That's just any company. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a a great gentleman, his name's Todd Connor. He runs uh, an organization called Bunker Labs. And uh, and he leans on this, this stat, but it's a great stat to lean on, which is, you know, after World War II, uh, the number of start or the number of veterans starting companies, I think, was in like sixty or eighty percent. It was some like ridiculously high amount, and for that number to be down to four percent just shows that um, it, there's a need for founders to understand how they can start their business, and that's our problem to solve as veteran service organizations. We need to showcase that the barrier to entry to start a business is very low. And, uh, and you can do it. There's help out there. There's people like, you know, Bunker Labs and Operation Code and ourselves and SBA and all these other veteran organizations or, or organizations that serve veterans that want to help. And it's easier now to start a business due to whatever investment, availability of capital, grants, foundations. It's easier for veterans to start a business today than it was after World War II. Like they had to get That's out, and go find you know mom and dad, maybe loan them some money to open a little cart or a store or something like that, or go ask for money from a bank. Banks are becoming obsolete in this equation, and I think um, founders just don't understand how to do. It. The other problem is founders don't have a huge network of folks when they leave the military. What have they been doing for the last year or two? Right, they've been deployed out in Afghanistan or Iraq. So when they leave. They don't have a, a huge network. So that's the other challenge is that when they come out, they just don't know where to go. And there are over 65,000 veteran service organizations in the country. So where do they begin? There's just a lot of noise. And, um, and so we just need to figure out how to extract ourselves from the noise, showcase that we have value, and really show that there is a place for them in this ecosystem. And it just, you know, we all, all veterans and military spouses, t- to add to that, um, want to find ways to add to whatever it is that they're problem that they're faced with, whatever problem they want to solve. Um, the problem is just, you know, how do they begin? 
and we want to be part of that narrative for them to figure out how to start that. Yeah, and I think this uh, podcast is going to be able to motivate a lot of people when we really so. start uh, interviewing other veterans yeah. and and finding out their stories, their challenges, and how they overcame that. Uh, that in itself is, is going to be inspirational for other veterans who kind of toy around with, oh, if I started a business. Uh, so that's why I'm excited about being a co-host with you on this yeah. show. Because uh, uh, I want to cheer them on. Yeah. And uh, so that's really this statistic about 65,000 veteran organizations in the United States. I didn't even know that. It's it's it, ridiculous. And so. and it's uh, a lot of them are, are, you know, like they'll find a niche, right? I, I had a great conversation with this, ger- um, this gentleman. I forgot the name of the foundation he worked for, but it was another nonprofit. They ended up running out of cash. But they were a great. They were a mentor-based uh, system for veterans who wanted to start a business, and so they would pair them up with another uh, mentor. And for two years, they would have one mentor that would help guide them through their business idea, and they had a great uh, success rate out of that. Um, and so that kind of reinforces what we were doing, making sure it was mentor-based. But you know, you get these organizations out there that their leader maybe they have a personal agenda and that clouds everything, or they shift their their structure, or you know, there's just it's just really difficult for veterans to understand where to go. And I think part of it is veterans are somewhat risk averse, even though they're willing to give of themselves and go into the military. There's a little bit of this risk aversion uh, and this fear of failure. We don't want to let people down. And I certainly went through that when my startup failed. Uh, you know, I went through that uh, in a deep, dark way because I had taken money from friends and family and now have to look them in the eye and say, sorry, thank you for giving us thousands of dollars. You'll never see it again. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a bitter pill to swallow, certainly as a person who doesn't want to let anybody down. And veterans just have this inherently as part of their DNA that mm-hmm. they just don't want to let anybody down. And so there's this ugly side of startups that are, it's starting to become a conversation more and more. And I think it's really important, which is, what happens when you fail? You know, when you go through startup failure, the email stops, the texts stop, the phone calls stop. People stop checking in on how you're doing. Yet, you as a founder, when you show up at these events or you go to a conference or you see your friends and they ask you, hey, you know, I, I respond to this with friends all the time. Friends be like, hey, Josh, how you doing? Hey, living the dream. Yeah, mm-hmm. that would be my answer to everything, right? Uh, yeah. But, you know, behind the scenes is I knew my startup was failing and it was such a... Um, depressing thing to go through because the one thing that I don't think founders really understand is that their friends and family go through it just like they do, right? And it's the same with the military. Your friends and family go through it just like you do when you go through the military. Mm -hmm. And that parallel fits the narrative within startups. It is the hardest thing you are going to do. Not the military, the shit that you went through when you went through the military. That is easy compared to what you are going to go through as a startup founder. And it's funny, not really funny, but it's interesting to me, com- the compelling thing that we heard, we started to add this as a, a programming element to Patriot Bootcamp. And I did a talk called Surviving Startup Failure. And uh, we had a number of veterans in the room. We did this at Patriot Bootcamp. And we had founders sit in this room and say, because my startup may fail, I've thought about killing myself. Like, oh, wow. That's profound. When did startup failure start to eclipse PTSD as a threat to our veterans, right? Like, this needs to be more of a conversation, and I'm so passionate about it. I did a talk at Phoenix Startup Week about it as well. It was standing room only. We, we beat out the keynote uh, during our time slot because people want to understand uh, and prepare themselves for failure. And I think I, I applaud people like Brad Feld, who run Techstars, to make this more of an of a in-your-face thing. You need to understand that there's a dark side to startup, which is this failure thing that you'll likely go through. And it's not that it's a bad thing. Uh, everybody fails. It's how you pick yourself up, right? Like, are you willing to just keep going? And it really defines an entrepreneur when they go through these failures. If they pick themselves up, dust themselves off, and go find the next thing, that's an entrepreneur. If they Definitely. fall and then go find a job, then they're probably not an entrepreneur, right? They they just want to go find a job. Uh, they may have had a great idea, but they fell and they didn't find anything to start up with again. Then I, I don't I don't consider those folks entrepreneurs. As controversial as that talking point may be, um, it's hard for me to to 
uh, having failed and started and failed and started again, it's hard for me to sit there and, and understand how those folks uh, can call themselves entrepreneurs. But uh, again, it's one of those things like it's really hard to go through. It's a difficult process. I applaud anybody for even standing up to try it. Uh, it's just uh, It just needs to be more of the conversation. Yes, definitely. What do you see as the number one uh, area? You know, you've observed a lot of these uh, entrepreneur companies uh, in failure or or not necessarily failure, but what are they challenged with the most? Is it capital? It's, it's They get in their own way. And we had the same problem for Brightwork when we did Brightwork. We tried to boil the ocean. We didn't pick our lane. You know, and I tell this to every entrepreneur, when you're starting a company, you need to pick something. And we did the same thing. We made the same exact mistake. And I, I tell them the example is when Jeff Bezos started Amazon, he said, I'm going to be the biggest bu- bookstore in the world. He didn't say, I'm going to be the biggest bookstore. I'm going to drop shit on people's houses with drones. I'm going to have virtual servers. I'm going to do all this. No, he said, I'm going to do one thing and I'm going to be the best at it. And he was. He had the biggest bookstore in the world. Then he moved on to AWS. Then he moved on to all these other things. And so I think that's a great example for entrepreneurs to follow is, Find your lane, pick your lane, stay in it, and when you're, you've done it really well, iterate on that set success to do the next thing. Um, our platform we found valuable for digital marketing agencies and developers. The problem was while we were going after developers, we were having digital marketing agencies say, this is a great platform, we would love it. So we were doing too much too soon, and that ultimately led to our downfall. I mean, part of it, I, mean, I think... The red flag for us should have been when we were creating two different sites for our platform for two different customers, right? Mm-hmm. We should not have been creating two landing pages for two separate segments of customers, not at the early stage that we were in. And that should have been a red flag for us right away. Um, and it's fine to create two different landing pages to A-B test what works for your website, but not when it comes to two different customer segments. That's just, that's an instant red flag. Yeah, it gets you out of focus. I think Bill yeah. Gates and um, I'm trying to think of um, the other billionaire who started oh, foundations with him. Yeah. They were both interviewed in, and they asked them, uh, what do you attribute your success to? Mm-hmm. And they both answered, Focus. Focus. Hundred percent. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Focus. Yeah, is I agree with that. Very important. So, um, uh, so you've talked about your challenges, and you've talked a little bit of of what you foresee in the future too. You know, by way of saying that you'd like to break down um, the um, the different attendees into different groups depending mm-hmm. on what level yeah. they're at in terms of their journey as entrepreneurs. Um, and so how do you measure success then right now? What kind That's of, great. Yeah. I, you know, for us, uh, we measure success based on, um, the, the companies that come back over and over again, wanting to be mentors. Right. Um, and that's part of how we measure it. But I think, um, if they're still in business in five years, then we've obviously set the building blocks to help them. And I think, as we build out our community and as we find more folks that want to be helpful for veteran and military spouse entrepreneurs, I think that's just going to be easy, easier for us to measure what that success looks like. Um, but, you know, it, it's really hard because there are so many different elements to it uh, to track what really success looks like. The easiest low-hanging fruit would be, are they still in business, right? And, right. and for veteran entrepreneurs, the, the nice stat that they have to be able to lean on is that you know, veteran entrepreneurs are twice as likely to be in business in five years than their non-veteran counterparts. So it helps them when they start to go in front of investors and say, look, I'm a tenacious son of a bitch and I'm going to be here in five years. Mm-hmm. The person that's doing the same thing that's not a veteran, chances are they won't be around. Who do you want to invest your money in? And so um, I don't think enough veterans are leaning on that to tell that story when they go in front of investors because it's important. And I think there's just not enough capital moving uh, to help veteran entrepreneurs. And I, there's some folks out there, people like Brandon Shelton, Doug McCormick, Craig Cummings, who are all making a focus around trying to put actual dollars into veteran companies. And and I applaud them for doing that. Um, yeah, that's, uh, that's interesting. So have you um, tracked 
everybody since the start of this. It's uh, so the the first event in terms of uh, the boot camp started in 2012. That's right. right. Yep, yep. And so you've tracked all the companies that have attended, and I think you did give me that figure of how many have gone through the camp. Yeah, we've had 750 companies go through. 750 yeah. companies. And of those, I I don't have the exact stat, but I think it's around 300 companies are still active and and doing something. Oh, that's yep. that's good. Yeah, it's not bad. I mean, yeah. you know, we we could, and that's why we we're trying to figure out how to do better, right? And that's I think part of that is when we start to segment out our our programming, we can be much more deliberate in our value add to these companies, and then we'll start to see that number go up, right? Percentage wise, how many more successes will we have? Um, and and that's our objective, right? We want to have. I, I would love to have a hundred percent, but you know, even the best top-tier programs that are out there, you know, like Techstars has an 80% uh, rate in which companies are still operating. That means there's 20% of companies out there that, you know, either exit or they're not in business anymore or they fail, whatever that miscellaneous bucket is. Uh, we want to figure out how to make our bucket just as good as theirs. Yes, that's that's wonderful that you're tracking because, you know, you said that there was all 65,000 vet organizations and, uh, you know, you sometimes wonder if some of these are just there to go get a grant and, you know, whether yeah. they're really working hard at helping the vets at all. Um, so uh, it, it, for this boot camp, do the veterans have to pay a fee um, or how does that work? That's great. So the, the veterans don't have to pay for the program. It's free, free to the ones that are accepted into the program. The only caveat to that is they have to find their own way there, which is part of the reason why we, we sort of rotated around the country. So we've done it in nine different cities now. We've done 12 programs. Uh, we'll return to Denver this year. Uh, next year, we, we still don't really know where we're going to go. We're eyeing Atlanta. We've never done a program on the West Coast, believe it or not. So we'll probably try to do a program somewhere on the West Coast uh, next year for 2019. But we want to do more of these. I, mean, we, I think we've gotten to the point where we're efficient enough that we can probably do four of these, not just two, uh, maybe do one every quarter. Um, and, and that's certainly our objective. But you know, to the point of we need to figure out how to build awareness about our program, we get typically 80, so, 80 or so applications that come through our, our application process for 50 seats. That means... You know, it's a good chance that people are going to get into our program. Um, and that's a top of funnel problem for us. We need to build awareness about the program. We need to showcase uh, where we fit in the ecosystem. And that just starts with um, how we go after the veteran entrepreneurs out there and the military spouse entrepreneurs that want to build a business. And so I think as we build out these other two layers, the, the hackathon and the whatever that third program ends up being, I think it'll enable us to be much more targeted when we start to think about how we reach these entrepreneurs. We've even started to uh, hire a PR firm. We've never hired a PR firm before. We're starting to have that discussion. Does it make sense to bring in somebody to help us with that? Because uh, one of the issues that we've had in the past is we haven't told our story very well. You know, we keep telling – the ironic part is we teach these entrepreneurs how to tell their story and we hammer it home all weekend long to the point where they have to do a pitch competition and here we are you know failing miserably at it ourselves so um so that's part of the problem and we just need to get better it's it's one of those challenges that um it's still exciting we're we're figuring it out and we have a, a great community to lean on well, I have a few ideas uh, on getting your story out, yeah. and we can talk about it later or, uh, you know, just just one. Um, when people exit the military, the military facilitates transition, and that would be a great place to do it. And who knows if you could get even support from the military to invest in, in, in the boot camp as well. Yeah, there, there's two programs. There's TAPS, which is the Transition uh, Assistance Program, which is that three-day thing that all transitioning military people go through that help you write a checkbook, help you learn how to pay your bills because, you know, Apparently, you, did, you forgot how to do that when you went in the military. Life skills. Life huh? skills, exactly. Uh, and there's another one called Boots to Business that the SBA and the IVMF uh, run. Um, and it's, it's helpful in that um, it gives people a very high-level understanding about how they can start a business. But it's not very segmented. In other words, there's three 
sort of three buckets you can go through. It's educational, entrepreneurship, and I've got the third one. But there's there's no cross-reference, right? There's no cross-pollination between those silos. And so what ends up happening is these entrepreneurs just get more noise. They don't really get context. And so that's that's our challenge. In fact, I was on the phone today with the SBA about that challenge, that very challenge and how we fix that. So what we've done as an organization is we're dragging the SBA out to our event to say, hey, come answer these questions to our entrepreneurs so they can understand and put it all in context around how organizations like the SBA can be helpful for the veteran entrepreneurs. And so um, so that'll be really cool. I'm, that's out of everything in Denver. That's one of the talks I'm really looking forward to. That's wonderful. I really made use of the SBA uh, when I was in my early stages of business, and they're a wonderful organization, and collaborating with it, I think, can advance your purposes as well mm-hmm. and help them out. So. Yeah. Both of you can help each other out. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Barb- Barbara Carson, who runs the SBA for the veterans, is uh, a wonderful young lady. And uh, she's an Air Force uh, uh, reservist, which is, I didn't know. She's still, in fact, she's being deployed, which is interesting. Just running the part of the SBA for veterans and, and being deployed herself, which is great. Oh, wow. I love that. So what do you see yourself doing the next 10 years right oh in the my goodness future. Do, you, do you see that do you yeah. see yourself still as part of this organization i hope or? so i hope they'll still have me i mean i'll still do it until they kick me out but i think uh you know i don't know how to answer that that's funny i didn't i if you would have asked me 10 years what i'd be doing i there's no absolute way i would have guessed this would be what i was doing um i always wanted to um be creative and I've always had that creative sort of bone in me. And the thing that I love about this job is it enables me to do that, to be creative and figure out ways that we can be helpful, whether that's creating new programming or, or whatever it is. So, yeah, I, I just I don't even know where I'm going to be in a year, to be honest. Like, I, I love what I'm doing. And again, I, hopefully they keep allowing me to do it. But um, I think part of the excitement of being an entrepreneur or having that inner entrepreneurial spirit for you is that uh, you don't know. You just kind of go with it and figure it out as you go along. That's wonderful. Um, I I love your uh, philosophy, and I love your passion. Um, Do you have any parting words for our audience? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, overall, I'm sure a lot of the listeners are, you know, veteran in the veteran entrepreneurial space or the military spouse entrepreneur space. I think, you know, find what, find your why. There's a few books that um, I've read as part of my journey. There's one called Start With Why. And I think every, it should be required reading for entrepreneurs. It's a Simon Sinek book. Um, It basically helps find your purpose. When I started at Twilio, uh, Jeff Lawson, the CEO at, at uh, Twilio, handed everybody this book, this Start With Why book. And it was find your purpose, find your why. And if you don't have your why, then how do you know what you're doing? How do you know if it even matters? And it's such an incredible book. Um, I've read it at least three or four times in my journey, but it's great. There's another one called Crucial Conversations. I don't know the author, to be honest, but it's one of those that... Um, it creates this ability for you to have empathy in whatever situation you're in, right? So I'll give you an an example of this. When you see somebody blow through a red light or a stop sign, you go, oh man, that guy's a jerk, right? But maybe they're going to see their grandma for one last time, or maybe they're having a baby, right? You just don't know because you're not putting yourself in that situation. So it's another great book, but there's a lot of really good things. Uh, Alex Isgold, who's the MD for Techstars, has a website that lists basically the Bible for everything startup. And so I think it's just Alex is gold, uh, is cold. Alex I, is, uh, is that the website? Yeah, it's Alex, A-L-E-X. And the last name is is cold, I-S-K-O-L-D.com. And his website just lists, he's, a, he's an MD for tech stars in New York. Amazing guy. Uh, but his website lists everything you need to know about being a veteran entrepreneur. Okay, I hope uh, our audience caught the name of that one. I'm going to yeah. check that out myself. Yeah, but oh, yeah, I mean, they can they can follow me on uh, Twitter. I'm just Joshua J Carter underscore, um, and I I always post uh, pretty meaningful things. Patriot Bootcamp also has a Twitter account, which is just Patriot Bootcamp. They can also follow that. We often put um, stories in there as well and helpful links for our community. But uh, but it's it's valid for everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, thank you, Josh. You've really given us a lot to think about and 
and it's uh, your journey's been amazing. So I'm going to look forward to seeing what else happens in I'm, the you future. Know, I'm looking forward to our conversation next week because uh, I can't wait to get to know you. And I know uh, we have you know a lot of time, but uh, this is um, this has been fun. I'm enjoying it. I think we're going to get better. I think you know, as we get through these programs, we're going to get better about the back and forth and the banter. And, and, uh, and I'm excited for, to, to learn more about you next week. Thank you. And we want to thank our audience as well. Yeah. Thanks, guys. See you next week. Bye-bye. You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen. Learn. Launch. 10% of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program.